Isn't that pretty? Isn't that pretty? Thank you, Donna. Thank you, uh, uh, Sandy. Thank you, Jackie, so much. That was perfect. That was perfect, guys. Praise God. I, uh, I called Donna up to... Um, can I share this, Donna? <laughs> I, I, I called Donna... It's too late. I'm going to share it. <laughs> I called Donna up and I, I said... Uh, do you know the song Gentle Shepherd? And she said, yeah, she'd, she'd heard it. And I said, well, we want to sing that Sunday. Can you, can you sing? And I, I approached her wrong. I said, well, she panicked. On, she said, I can't sing. Don't ask me to sing. I said, no, I didn't mean to ask you to sing. But you're a great reader. So I asked her, to, thank you, Donna. I never want to put somebody in a panic like that. I know. Yeah, uh, Sue, I, I uh, thank you, Sue, so much uh, for doing it and being so flexible. I always ask her five minutes before we start, do you want to lead worship today? <laughs> oh, yeah, sure. I don't know if you've ever read the uh, magazine. It's an online magazine only. It, I don't think it's ever been in print. I'm not real sure. It's called The Guardian. The Guardian. And it's a magazine that just highlights a lot of things, um, political and otherwise, and, and uh, it's a religious um, viewpoint of it. And it doesn't um, um, give um, sway to anything, but it, it, it just shares what's going on and the highlights of it and how we're affected by it. Back in the late, the late 1990s, I think it was 96 or 97, they put out an article... Um, uh, I think stemming from, um, um, oh, I'm not going to think of the pastor's name in Florida right now, but it was from his view that um, evangelism had to change. Instead of grabbing people by the collar, we need to grab them by our friendship and invite them into Christ. And the Guardian wrote this article about how the mindset of evangelicals is changing and should be changing because of the way that we approach everything. Now, I thought about that and, and um, uh, how in the 50s and the 60s and I think even the 70s and even yet today, we as evangelicals approach God as a judgmental God and proclaim him that way and, and tell people that he's going to judge you and send you to hell. That's the famous thing, especially in Pentecostal church today. They're still throwing that out there, that God is a judgmental, ugly person that you don't want to mess with. The Guardian said that, that those views were changing slowly, but I, I, I just often wonder if they are. You know, after 9-11, um, several of the really famous... Um, televangelist that I won't name, but several of them said that um, the 9-11 issue was all God um, punishing us because of our homosexual issues, and, and one person even said because we took prayer out of school, so God punished us by doing 9-11. Mm. And, uh, and that, that's not an unfamiliar thought with people um, that often when something terrible happens, it's because AIDS, AIDS was um, given to us. If you listen to these televangelists that are 
you know who I'm talking about. But um, AIDS is nothing more than God's response to us living in sin. And uh, it's, it's a, a terrible situation that we have grown up in that, thinking that this God for every little thing that happens um, is if, that we do uh, causes us to have repercussions and he's going to destroy something in our lives. Even, even like the um, tornadoes and everything that hit Kentucky, um, that was because somebody else sinned that wasn't them, but God needed to do something for uh, our eyes to waken us up. You know, isn't that crazy? I, rem- I, I actually remember one time that um, one of these televangelists said that, uh, you remember the earthquakes in Haiti and everything? And they said, uh, oh, that's just God's payback. Because sometime, I, I knew this sometime a long, long time ago, uh, the Haiti officials made a pact with the devil that if they could get their freedom, they would be okay. And so God is saying, you know, no, you can't do that. I I have a real problem with that. Uh, if, if you haven't caught anything in these three years that I've been with you, it's not, I don't think we serve a God who is vindictive. I don't think we serve a God who's looking to get you for what you've done. Um, uh, actually, if we think about it, um, uh, <laughs> it's a shep- this little sheep I keep hiding all over the place up here. You know, and, and people wonder where it's at, and sometimes it's gone completely. Um, but if you listen to God's word, he likens himself to a shepherd, not as a dictator. He likens himself to a person who, who loves us and cares for us and, and uh, wants to help us and support us and, and get us on our journey um, to keep us in his fold. He will do anything he can to tell us how much he loves us. And he's done that by the virgin birth and the life of Christ and the death on the cross. That, my friends, is the God that I think is in control of this universe. The one who um, is not that, not that drill sergeant who's yelling at you to keep doing it and doing it when you're doing the best you can. And, and they're yelling at you to do even more, you know. In Isaiah chapter 62, if you have your Bibles with you at home, you might want to you might want to get your Bibles out and keep them there because I, I hope I say something or that God says something that might be important for us to hear. Um, I think Isaiah 62, these first five verses um, in the Old Testament, shows us how much God really cares for us and how truly He wants to relate to people, to relate to us in a way that we have not been told, I don't think, enough, because um, I, remember, I remember when we, uh, Sean and, and Shannon were little, um, Sean uh, was talked into playing baseball as a young person, and it was his first time of ever playing it, and um, he went through practice okay, and you could tell he didn't like it, but he did went through practice, and they were ready to play their first game, and, and they were playing, and he was in the outfield. And, and uh, unfortunately, the coach didn't do anything but belittle all the kids and tell them they weren't playing up to their, um, their ability and, and really yelled at Sean and, uh, and several other players. And 
the game was over, and Sean said, Dad, Dad do I ever have to do that again? <laughs> I said, what, play baseball? He said, no, get yelled at like that. I said, no, you don't have to, buddy. So he never played another game of baseball. But he loved soccer. But uh, I'll tell you, we have too many people telling us, telling us you're not living up to where you need to be, yelling at us in a sense. And I want you to know that God says, no, that's not who I am. I'm the, I'm the shepherd who cares for you, loves for you, was, will do everything I can to keep you out of trouble. God wants us to relate to him differently than, than we do to him. Let's look at this, these first five verses and see what they say to us. Well, they're up on the wall, and if you're following along at home, you might want to mark these verses if you write in your Bible. Hmm. Isaiah says, Because I love Zion, because I love my chosen people, God says, I will not keep still, because my heart yearns for Jerusalem. I cannot remain silent. And so he gave us a child. I will not stop praying for her until her righteousness shines like the dawn and her salvation blazes like a burning torch. The nations will see your righteousness. World leaders will be blinded by your glory. And you will be given a new name by the Lord's own mouth. And the Lord will hold you in his hand for all to see a splendid crown in the land of God. Never again will you be called the forsaken city, the desolate land. Your name will be called the city of God's delight and the bride of God. For the Lord delights in you and will claim you as his bride. Your children will commit themselves to you. Oh, Jerusalem, just as a young man commits himself to his bride. Then God, then God, then God will rejoice over you as a, as a bridegroom rejoices over his bride. Amen. This is the word of God for all people. Let's pray together. God, thank you for this time that we can dive into your word and, and hear it challenge us and, and talk to us and speak to us and, and change our attitude and change our heart. Use it for that today, Lord, we pray. Open our ears that we may hear. Open our, our hands that we may do and our feet that we may walk in your way better after we're done worshiping you today. And I pray, Lord God, that your words of your servant would be nothing more than yours. We pray this in your son's name today. All of God's children said, amen. I think in those few verses, if you were just to take them and digest them, you would find some things in there that are, are extremely powerful. And I just want to share just a couple of thoughts with you this morning about our relationship with Christ. If we're going to draw nearer, nearer, precious Lord, to thy side, if we're going to draw nearer to him, there's some things that we ought to understand and ought to know. And I think the first thing that, that this verse really hit me with is that... Um, God wants us to know that we're not who we used to be. He wants us to know that we have a new name. Did you get that in that scripture? He wants us to know that we have a new name. Uh, in verse um, um, 2, he says, You will be given a new name by the Lord's own mouth. And then uh, verse 4, it says, Never again will you be called the forsaken city, 
the desolate land. Your new name will be the city of God's delight and the bride of God. I remember, I remember going to, um, to seminary and uh, many people of different um, ethnic groups were there. And, um, and one friend um, was from India and he told stories all the time about his homeland. And back in 1990, that, that was different than today, you know, um, people talking about their homeland. Of course, he, he always reminded us that uh, I think at that time, um, India only had about 3% that were Christian. And the rest of them were Hindu, you know. And um, he was talking about, uh, um, uh, it wasn't a friend of his, it's just a, I, whether it was a folklore or just a story, about a young man who um, had a strange name for an Indian name because their names, um, they were given a surname um, of who they were and then their middle name was always their father's name, okay? And then their last name was their given name, Costello, you know? Well, he went to school and he gave him his first, the teacher asked him his first name and he said, Solomon, and he said, uh, okay, what's your dad's name? Rohan. <laughs> and then she said, what's your last name? And he says, what? He says, I, I, I don't know what my last name is. She said, no, you have a last name. Everybody has a last name. You have to have a last name. And he said he thought about it for a little bit. And he said, oh, 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 they call us Christian. So his last name became <laughs> Solomon Rohan Christian, and he lived with that name all through. That was what they wrote down in, in um, uh, the book, the school book, and it stayed with him, and he went to medical school and everything like that. Well, his last name wasn't Christian. That's who he was. His family was, was Christian. He got a new name, didn't even know it. Didn't even know it, didn't even know what was going on. I want to tell you, it's so exciting because um, today we want to talk about people... Um, and their names, you know, the one that does drugs all the time. You know what I mean? Oh, the one, you remember the one that got divorced? You know? That's how we call, we talk to people. Yeah, I remember. They were, they drank an awful lot. That's their name, isn't it? That's the name we put on them. I had a friend of mine <laughs> that, um, Navarre, Phyllis, and I had uh, some friends down there, too, if you can believe it. And, um... <laughs> We were sitting around dinner one time, uh, breakfast one time, a bunch of us sitting around the guys, and um, we said something about Doc um, um, uh, Cotton's house. And um, Tom lived in Doc Cotton's house. Okay? He lived there for 32 years. He lived in Doc Cotton's house. So this morning he got upset, and he said, I'm tired of this. When is it going to be Tom and Bev's house? Doc Cotton only lived there seven years. I've lived there over 30, and it's still his house? <laughs> so anytime we referred to Doc Cotton's house after that, it was always Tom and Bev's house. <laughs> you know, isn't that how we do things? And that's what the, the nations around Israel at that time called them everything. All kinds of names. The God who, uh, the, the city whose God forsake, forsook them, you know. Our problem is our name is based on our past, not our potential and not where we're at. You need to go to Revelation, Revelation chapter 2. Write this down if you have, are making notes. I think it's powerful. 
Revelation chapter 2, you start hearing um, the woes to the churches. But if all you do is focus in on the ugly part of everything that's going on, you will miss the great thing that happens in those uh, verses there. In chapter 2, we see the first church, Ephesus, and, uh, and the joy for them is if they overcome, they will literally make it to the garden, the garden where God first started all this. Now that's a blessing, I must say, eh? If you look at the next church, Smyrna, you'll see that if they overcome, if they find Christ in their lives and, and change the way they're going, they'll get the crown of life. And then if you look at the next church, Pergamon, that's the one I want to look at today. Because if you listen to it and listen to what Jesus says to them, he says, if you overcome, I will write you a new name on a white stone. So one day, one day when I die and I'm whisked off to heaven, I'll get that crown of life. I'll get to make it to the garden, I hope, and see Jesus and Abraham and all the saints, you know. Phyllis Ann and I will be there together one time. Get to see all of you there. And in that flash of a moment, he's going to put that crown of righteousness, that crown of life on my head, and he's going to hand me this white stone. Here's your new name. It's not idiot anymore. It's not stupid. It's not drug drug addict. It's not, uh, you know, whatever name you, I've been called. It's a new name. New name. Now, I don't know what, you know, it's not a fancy name or anything. Simon got Peter. Remember? And Saul got Paul. Just one little letter change. Maybe mine will be not late for dinner. Who knows? <laughs> but I want you to know that that name is important. God doesn't call us by all those other names, does he? He gives us a new name, and as far as he's concerned, that's what's holding on. The other thing that I thought was powerful in this, in this verse was the fact that God wants us to hold his hand. You need to look at it in verse 3. He says, the Lord will hold you in his hand for all of us to see. I'm write this scripture down. It's John chapter 10, um, verse 27. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. No one can snatch them away from me. No one can snatch them away from the Father's hand. Knowing Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior gives us a security that we cannot even begin to imagine, that no matter what happens, um, no matter what happens, uh, Phyllis and I have just been, I had the opportunity to talk about this yesterday. You know, we went to the doctor yesterday, and, and, um, and now she gets to meet a new doctor in a couple of weeks, a heart doctor, and she's got this, um, uh, what is it called? Colleen? Uh, atrial fibrillation. Uh, Marilyn has it. Anybody else in here have it? AFib? Oh, Marna has it. No. 
I knew there was something wrong with you, Paul. And, uh, <laughs> um, so uh, we were talking about it yesterday, and, and I said, well, because I ask her the same questions, everybody. Is your heart feeling funny, or you, is it beating fast or slow and all that stuff, you know? And um, we were coming home from the doctors, and she said, well, I'm not quitting. I'm not doing anything different than I've been doing. And they're worried about her diet because she's eating too much cholesterol. And he, she said, I'm still eating that cholesterol. I don't care. I'm 82 stinking years old. I can eat what I want to eat. You know, and, we're going, and I said, yeah, but we're going to do what they want us to do, right? Yeah, we're going to do what we need to do. I said, that's good because I want you around here for a couple more days. And, yeah, no, wait till I go, you know. Um, the idea is... Uh, it, uh, it's really strange how people uh, approach this stuff. We can say, um, I heard Colleen say it today, we can say, oh, oh, oh I'm going to quit. And both Phyllis and Colleen said, no, we're not going to quit. We're going to keep doing what we're going to do. Why? Because we're in his hand. We're in his hand, and, and, and we're protected beyond our imagination. Um, there's, uh, just because we're in his hand does not mean that things won't happen. Amen? It's going to happen. There's crazy stuff always going to happen. But when we're in his hand, we have released more than we can ever imagine. Peace in the midst of the storms. Amazing grace on top of the hills, eh? And then if you listen to that scripture, that verse right there, um, verse 3 says, um, you'll be a splendid crown in his hand. A splendid crown. I just like that, that, um, that we will be something special that he's going to show off to everybody because we have a new name, because we've holding on to his hand. I, have a, I had a friend in Malone College, Charlotte, and she was just a great lady, and I was to her house several times of her. Uh, she lived with her parents yet, and her parents and I became great friends. But when you walked into her house, it was an old house. And when you walked into it, um, there was a foyer, a big place where you walked in, took your coat off, did all kinds of things. There was all kinds of doors and closets, you know. But there was this um, wall when you walked in. And on that wall, on that wall was a painting that they had, um, his wife, her mother, had inherited. And it was in a painting from original artist. I couldn't tell you who it is now. I can't even remember. Um, but it was a very um, well done painting, famous painting that we would all know. I can remember it was a, a forest scene of some kind. But anyways, it was, um, it had a, a light just on that. Every time you walked in, the first thing you saw was this picture. And then it had, uh, it was encased in glass. Some kind of special glass so it wouldn't, nothing would affect the texture of the paint, you know, the sun rays or anything like that. And I thought, to, I thought to myself when I'm thinking about this, that God wants to put us on display like that. And when I say that, I think that's what God wants us to do. Every time somebody walks into our house, walks into his house, walks into where he's at, what you see is, is the greatest trophy ever. Someone who has found Christ. I don't know if you know it or not, but if you said, I, 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 I didn't do anything. I just set that candle there, and, and it's behind the cross. And I'm sitting behind Paul and Colleen over there. And if you look at it, you can see the flame on the cross. Can anybody else see that? I think it's powerful. That tells us 
That tells us that we, his children, I think, are, are on display all the time and how we respond to each other and how we act with each other is important because we want to build up, not tear down our relationship with God. Uh, no one can take us away. Um, it's amazing that um, when we walk hand in hand with, with God, with Christ, with the Holy Spirit, powerful things are able to be done because we're in, we're in business together. Amen? Mm. Then the last thing that I, I want to share with you that it hit my heart in this scripture, okay, is in verse 4. He literally says he wants to delight in us. For the Lord delights in you and will claim you as his bride. Then God will rejoice over you as a bridegroom rejoices over his bride. You ever been around a, a wedding when the bride and the groom are getting married? The bride is gorgeous, isn't she? And that groom, uh, most of the time, is in a panic. And as soon as she walks in that room, most of them probably, as I see them, we hold on to them because they're ready to pass out or they're crying or they're emotionally, you know, done in. That's what Christ says. That's what God says to us. That's what the Holy Spirit says. I want to delight in you like you wouldn't believe. And, and whether it's 50 years or a year or, you know, coming up, getting wedding, God wants to have that kind of delight in you. My, my whole goal in life now is, to, right now, for Phyllis Ann and I is to make sure she's under no stress. You know what I mean? I remember, I remember when uh, they were trying to get her blood pressure under control many, many years ago, and we were in uh, Lodi at the hospital. The doctor was there, and, and it was a doctor we had been with for like 15 years. And, and finally, she looked at her, and she said, Phyllis Ann, are you under any stress right now? And um, there was two nurses in there that we were pretty good friends with, you know, and, and they started chuckling. They started chuckling, and, and doctor looked at him and said, what, what, what's wrong? And she said, they said to her, the one redheaded nurse said to her, she said, uh, don't you know who Phyllis Ann's married to? <laughs> oh, yeah, I forgot. Yeah, you're under stress. So, okay, so we'll work through that. You know, that's, a, that's the way it is, isn't it? Uh, so all my, my, the last several years, I don't know how many, is that I, I keep saying to her, if I'm causing you any anxiety, let me know so I can stop it because I delight in her. Amen? That's what God does. The problem of it is that you and I need to understand is that there's a, a, a whole other system here trying to destroy that very thing. That very thing that we have in Christ. Um, the principalities and powers of this world are saying no. No, you're not going to be a delight. And I'm going to bring up to God every time I can all of your faults and make sure that you're not there. They want to, the demons, the principalities, Satan himself wants to destroy that relationship that we have with God where we put our hand in his. And we know that we have a new name and no matter what happens in our life, it's okay. He wants to say no. No, that's not true. And he'll use Aunt Ethel or anybody else he can to make you upset and to make you mad at God, to make you say, I'm not that trophy. 
to make you say that I am not that person that, that everybody thinks I'm go- I am. I am. I am going to do my own thing and nothing to do with God. And he doesn't care. I want you to know the principalities and powers in this world do not care anything about you. Now listen to this real closely, friends. I think God put this on me. He doesn't care about you at all. All he wants to do is take that trophy from God. I think if God was to be here and open up his chest and show us his heart, we'd see a lot of scars. A lot of scars where people have left because of Aunt Ethel or whoever, you know, whatever reason. They lost their walk with Christ. They wa- they, they, their hand was not in his anymore. They didn't know that they had a new name. They went back to their old. I want you to know that, that that's not true. That whatever Satan throws at you, whatever the principalities and powers of this world does, it's not true. Paul says it best in Romans. Oh, all right, here's another one. Romans chapter 8, verse 31. Paul has been making in this whole chapter a defense. A defense that God is with us. And he says in 831, he says, If God is for us, who can be against us? And the answer is nobody, nothing, no height, no depth. You remember the scripture? No angels, nothing, not even death can separate us from the great love that God has for us. I think in Isaiah and all of God's word, we can sum it up in four words that would help us get through these times. You ready for them? God is for us. And God is for us as a congregation. Then change it. God is for me. God is for me. No matter what anybody says, no matter what comes my way, God is for me. And I am blessed to be called by a new name. I am blessed to know that I am held in his hand. And I am blessed because... I am his delight, (laughs) his delight that loved us so much that his son came to die for us. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. God, thank you. Thank you for this time this morning, this assurance that we get from your word. And help us today that if we don't know who we're talking about here. We don't know you. We don't know Jesus. We don't know the Holy Spirit. Help us to change that so we can then say we have a new name and that we are in your hand. Help us. Help us just to reach out. Grab your hand. It's right there. Help us to accept all that you've done so that we can be your delight. We pray these things in Christ's holy name today. We pray it in Jesus' name. We pray it in the power of the Holy Spirit. And all of God's children said, Amen. I don't think we're going to sing that last song. Hang on a second. Yeah.